Welcome to the Black Blue Podcast. I am your host, Imam Tariq Alameen, and I greet you with the greetings of peace. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you and your family. I hope that you are listening to this in good health. Um, and if you are going through any type of difficulty, whether that is uh, mental, physical, emotional, financial, spiritual, whatever the nature may be, I pray that you um, that, that you have relief, that God sends you relief. So uh, hold on, be strong. Uh, as you know, this is the Black Clue Podcast. And when you hear black, I hope that you think of not just the people who bear that designation, uh, but that you also think about black uh, with regard to darkness or, or night or the unknowable. Right. Uh, and in this space, this is one of those spaces where we bring those things together. Right. The glue speaks for itself. It's the bonding agent that which, which holds us, holds things, holds people together. So uh, this is a space of togetherness. It's a, it's a space of exploration. And I am just really pleased to be back with you uh, and to have a really special guest joining me, uh, Reverend Brian E. Smith. He is the Director of Advancement and Strategic Partnerships at the Chicago Theological Seminary, where he is the administrator of a Henry Luce Foundation COVID-19 emergency response grant, which provides leadership and resources to over 40 Chicago Southside faith leaders. And I am blessed to be one of those representing Meshed Al-Taqwa on Chicago Southside. Uh, Reverend Smith also pastors the North Shore Faith Community Church, and he served previously as Director of Development at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. We welcome him to the Black Blue Podcast. How are you, my brother? I'm great, and you, Imam? I I am well, and I and I once again I appreciate you being here, Reverend. Um, so we're just going to kind of just jump right in. Um, the the work that that you're doing. Um, I would say that it's not something that somebody could just do as a nine to five, right? This really has to be a part of 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 your of your DNA, a part of of your mission. Uh, tell us why is why is interfaith working with um, you know different faith leaders and faith groups? Uh, why is this important to you? It's important for a variety of reasons. Number one, my faith calls me to love my neighbors. I love myself. Obviously, I'm a Christian and uh, an ordained Baptist minister. And so my faith calls me, number one, to love others, to love my God with all of my heart, mind, and soul, and to love others. And I have a special calling as a bridge builder, as a coalition builder. Uh, I'm one who actually goes between the spaces and, and uh, I make room uh, for others. And so it has become a passion of mine through the years and a calling to uh, pursue opportunities to bridge together those people of faith, uh, uh, particularly those that I am working with in, in my community. And uh, of course, I, I put a, 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 an emphasis on the black community. And I think that we need to become mature enough to begin to see where we face the same challenges and we can come up with solutions that will help us all. Um, absolutely. I'm, I'm in a hundred percent, uh, agreement and, and just really pleased to, to hear that. And of course I knew that, but that was for the benefit of our listening audience. <laughs> but uh, when we talk about how we've got to become a more mature community, um, uh, religion, faith, it has the, the opportunity, it has the possibility of lifting people up, um, at its best. And it also, when engaged improperly, it, 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 brings about the possibility of, of dividing people. How do you how do you address that as a bridge builder, uh, specifically dealing with 
um, with, with our people, with black folks? Number one, we have to call out the divisiveness. We have to understand that we are the total sum of our experiences. We have to recognize our history and we have to take into account what is actually happening in front of us. Uh, when you see the devastation, you see the challenges we face in our respective communities, but you also see a common thread. You see the history of oppression. You see the history of discrimination. And of course, in the United States and in other parts of the diaspora, you see the history of our enslavement. But if you look beyond that, you see a history of greatness. You see our history uh, where we did flourish. I saw that you took a trip, um, uh, was it Mauritania? Yeah, Mauritania. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and. Uh, as I watched you interface and, and as you moved about with uh, our brothers and sisters, you could see the thread. Obviously, our skin color, the melanin helps to, to, to bind us, but also the beautiful uh, pageantry of life, uh, how people dress, the foods that we eat. If you look at the common threads, you'll see that there is more that binds us than that that separates us. And this disempowering divisiveness does not help us as a people. And we must discover the common threads, recognize where we do have differences, acknowledge them, but also recognize that we have a common goal and, and we have a, a common heritage. And I'm always interested in discovering that commonality not only among black folk, but among people in general, because we have a spirit. We're more than flesh and blood, and, and we're more than, than the color that is on our, our skin. But when we begin to recognize those common threads, something special begins to happen. And I believe that uh, a, a, a big source of, uh, uh, or, or I I'll say it this way, one way that we can begin to solve our challenges is to recognize our uh, common elements, uh, the humanity that is among us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, and really that's one of the things that, um, and of course I'm not the originator obviously of, of recognizing human dignity as, as, as an inherent, uh, right and, and, and trait, uh, amongst all of us, you know, regardless of our, uh, ethnicity, our, our, you know, our, our pigmentation or whatever. Um, but it is something that I go back to constantly, you know, our, our common human dignity. Um, yes. and it's, it's interesting while we recognize that we we find ways um, to be exploited, right? We find ways to find uh, division within our rituals, within our, our language, uh, you know, within a, a number of, of perspectives that, that we might hold. Uh, and it seems to blind us from the from that shared condition. When we look at our, our communities, uh, not that all of our communities are the same, right? Because we don't want to paint a picture to say that we, we just live in squalor, right? That that certainly is not the uh, the case. But just looking at the least among us and how our faith moves us to collectively address those uh, situations. Can you talk a bit about how um, how this collective uh, that, that you know that that you are overseeing, that you that you're administrating, how it possibly might be a um, kind of maybe a launch pad to to move in that direction. Absolutely. Well, number one, it was a blessing in disguise. 
of course, that that opportunity came in the midst of great chaos uh, all across the country, all across the world, actually, because we were facing the pandemic. But here in the United States, we faced uh, the ap aftermath of the George Floyd murder. And uh, that response in Chicago was uh, acute. Uh, we, we had great unrest on the south side of Chicago. And so we received the grant uh, specifically for COVID-19 responses. However, we had to convene a group of faith leaders to deal with both issues. And we were in a, I, I would say we were in a state of chaos, worrying about the virus causing death and then worrying about the virus of racism and, and the response to police brutality. And then trying to come to terms with how our communities dealt with both. And all of the participants in the program expressed a desire to have clarity. We were unable to go to our mosques, our synagogues, and our churches. And we were concerned about just being able to connect with folks being able to connect with our members, our congregants, our communities, and we discovered each other. And we realized that for years we have been operating in these silos, whether they were spiritual or even physical. We were siloed away from our communities. In many cases, people didn't know what we were doing in our spaces of worship. And of course, the various faith leaders didn't know each other. And this opportunity came for us to number one, have listening sessions where we gathered and we talked about the issues concerning our respective communities. Then we were able to provide some reasoning and support for these institutions. So uh, as you are aware, we were able to provide uh, 30 grants to faith institutions to help them to upgrade their virtual worship capabilities. So people were able to get Zoom uh, opportunities, uh, uh, subscriptions for different online platforms. People bought cameras. They bought different types of equipment to help them to uh, increase their outreach. But I think, uh, and I don't wanna drift far away from your earlier question, the greatest opportunity was for us to see each other as partners regardless of our faith traditions. We realized that we were all wrestling with the same challenges and that we were better together than we could be separate. And because of that opportunity, which occurred actually a year ago, uh, uh, Imam, it was a year ago, now the collective has decided that they want to continue to work together. We have other pressing issues that we must deal with, issues that we were dealing with before the pandemic. And uh, now I'm excited to have uh, a, a large group of uh, dedicated leaders that don't meet the profile of faith leaders that we've seen in the past. Because we are Muslim, we are Christian, we are Jewish, and we are all Black. Wow. Now, what can we do together? How can we take this faith that guides us and then move it to the next level where it translates 
into transformation for the communities that we seek to serve. And that's what we're trying to figure out now. You know, I, I think embedded in that uh, desire to answer that question or figure out, you know, what's the roadmap to, to get there? It's a constant reminder of the reality of, uh, unfortunately, the economics that sometimes overshadow the mission. Uh, and, and within that, there is a and, and, and competition. It can be a healthy competition or it can be unhealthy. Right. Uh, and in our faith tradition, uh, you know, we are encouraged to compete with one another in the best way. Right. Towards good. Right. So you want to compete in service, but you don't want to compete where you tear down uh, your, your your competitor's uh, name. Right. Or their works. Um, That's right. So. I think that's something that I don't think we necessarily talk about it um, enough or recognize the uh, sometimes the harm that can come from uh, or maybe subvert our potential for collective and collaborative work. Because if you don't have that spirit, like I talked about at the beginning, right, you do what you do, not just out of sense of it's a nine to five, but this is a calling. It's a part of your ministry. Um and if you don't have that sense of, of calling, that sense of, of, of custodianship, then it can be overshadowed by by other things. So is that something that you, that you have, like, you know, maybe pulling folks to the side where you have to bring up, say, look, we're stronger together. You know, the work is bigger than just your piece of it or my piece of it. You know, uh, organically, I think that my love for everyone involved has really helped so that we haven't had to have that conversation. Oh, man. There's such a love, and, and that's really all I take credit for. I just love the work that I'm doing, and I love all of the people that I serve. And it has become contagious so that whenever I reach out to people, people are saying, what's going to happen next? <laughs> and I will say that, um, you know, I, I was able to, to I was blessed to be able to connect with some outstanding people like you. Uh, and somehow we, we've all experienced this yearning to come together. But honestly, I haven't had to have that type of conversation. The conversations I'm having are all built around mobilizing folks, acknowledging the greatness within each faith tradition. And you see it when we come together, we all pray together. We'll, we'll pray sometimes three different prayers. Yeah. And people are okay with that. I think it has a lot to do with the diversity of the body. One of the things that we tried to do when selecting the participants was to focus on folk that were leading congregations of maybe 150 members or less. And I believe when you identify folk that are connected with smaller congregations, there's a different sense of purpose. That's not to say that a large congregation can't have that. And we have a few in our midst. Mm -hmm. But when you're small, I think you're more accustomed to connecting with folk on a one-on-one -on -one level. And I think that has translated into the way our groups coalesce. So we have, you know, roughly 40 congregations and they span 
the Protestant denominational base. And then of course, we're trying to work very hard to increase, we wanna increase our Muslim and our Jewish presence. But I believe everybody shows up committed to the task of working together. And it makes my job uh, very um, exciting and I'm always happy to be a part of, uh, of the gatherings and I'm looking forward. So I don't have to focus on really convincing people they have to work together. I think I'm challenged by what I am going to do to lead us to greater opportunities for change. And I think we're starting to do that. Like, you know, you and I now are working on a campaign to help boost vaccination. Right. To deal with vaccine hesitancy. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the collective members now want to look at going to our law enforcement before there's another problem. Right, right. And saying to them, look, how can we work together to help you all to see black people as human beings? And so we're already saying now, let's let's design curriculums and teachings and opportunities for us to come together before there are tragedies. And we're doing the same thing on the economic front as we are now working with the Discover Corporation as they launch the new Chatham facility. And the collective has been very involved in that. And we're also working with the new owners of Mercy Hospital, uh, attempting to see how we can be a resource. So I think this proactive way of thinking is what will be best for our communities. Let's not wait for tragedies. Why do we wait to protest? we should be constantly in a state of active duty. Yeah. And that just, you can see that excites me to wake up every morning saying, what is it that I can do and how can I contribute to this group that is contributing to the well-being of their respective communities? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I want to pivot a little bit. Um, uh, before we Before we came on, you and I talked a bit about uh, a shared interest that we have. Uh, and, and I mentioned that, you know, I, I grew up in, in theater arts. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think as recently as, uh, what, three years ago, uh, Mesh Takwa, along with uh, Society of United Neighbors Theater Ensemble, uh, we would host a an annual uh, play. And uh, we do it at uh, Chicago State's Breaky Theater. So my mother's a playwright um, and director and she's written hundreds of plays and stuff. Uh, and you are also a playwright. Yeah. Um, and director. And yeah. I, I want to really kind of talk about the importance of uh, what do you see uh, in your uh, in your imagination? What it, what is the the potential or have you thought about the potential for the, the interfaith, the kind of a coalescing around um, uh uh, theatrical productions, you know, whether, you know, whether it's a, a play or, you know, or even an independent, you know, YouTube, you know, something, but, but something that kind of goes beyond what we do in our individual uh, spaces, right? But bringing that together uh, and to kind of put a cap on this, how you mentioned the importance of and how welcome it it is that we'll have our gatherings and there'll be, you know, be three different prayers, right? And everybody's good with that. Right. But bringing that type of, of spirit, that type of representation into the into a, a, a into a, a cultural and a thea, thea, theatrical type of uh, presentation. Have, have you thought about the, the possibilities and the, the potential around something like that? You know, now I am. Now, <laughs> this, 
you, and l- let me say why I'm thinking that way. Uh, as I share with you, when you have many talents and, and, and many opportunities to do things, sometimes you have to compartmentalize them in order to get things done. That's right. Uh, but that does not mean that you can't turn and use that talent for good. And uh, I think that we have room to work together to do something that is interfaith. In fact, now that I'm uh, thinking about it, I did participate in a special uh, uh, ministry exchange with a Jewish congregation in Evanston. Okay. And over the course of, I think, two years, we developed a uh, what we call bibliodrama. We developed a bibliodrama program between our congregations. We looked at the holy texts, both uh, first and uh, New Testament of the uh, uh, of the Bible, and we took biblical stories and we acted them out in the midrash tradition. This was a Jewish congregation I was working with, um, and I was already fascinated with um, reworking. Uh, biblical texts with a black hermeneutic. That was already something that that I I was uh, deeply involved in, you know, both in preaching and then, of course, with my plays. And, of course, as you know, uh, I've done the uh, nativity story and I've done the Easter story from uh, a black hermeneutic. Right. And we've been very successful uh, when I was with another congregation in Evanston at telling the story from our perspective. So that, uh, number one, and I'm really big on letting people know that uh, Jesus was an Afro-Asiatic person. That's right. I think that gets lost. Mm-hmm. You know, That's not Brian the Black Nationalist. That's looking at the biblical text and understanding it for what it presents to us. Mm-hmm. But I took it further, and uh, we infused uh, Negro spirituals and and all sorts of language and interpretations of the both the Christmas and the Easter story. And we were very successful. And, and um, I would like to do that again. But now you're bringing up another way of uh, um, teaching our people. And I would be open to opportunities to work with you to show the diversity and the beauty of Black faith. Mm-hmm. and using our artistic history to show, I mean, we know for a fact that that all three faith traditions have a home on African soil. That's right. And to bring that out and to make it clear and to be unapologetic about it and to show how those three strands have African elements. I would be excited to do that, to have music, to have dance, dialogue, the combination of, of the three uh, uh, religious traditional texts. Uh, that would be exciting for me. We got to make uh, that happen. Yeah, let's look at that. Uh, because I've been, okay, I've done the Christmas story. I've done Easter. I've also done the history of Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman. And I, I've written all of those pieces uh, with, with a, a black hermeneutic and, and, and a black perspective. So I don't think it would be a problem with other folks like you. Uh, you know, I'm fascinated with the story of Mansa Musa. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that guy fascinates me. 
and I've uh, I, I went to a, an exposition at the Block Museum uh, in Evanston at the Northwestern campus. Um, and it was called Caravans of Gold. Yeah. Of course, most people don't know that this was the richest individual to walk ever, ever. That's right. A black sub-Saharan African Muslim man is the richest person. And this, you know, this is documented with mm-hmm. Forbes. Yeah. Why don't we know more about him and his journey to Mecca? And how and and I actually preached about this. I preached about oh, really. This. Yes, I did. I preached about Mansa Musa at my church, mm. and and I compared him to, or or let me not. I didn't compare him, but I I I, I noted the fact that this was a person who gave. Yes, and right. That's why he was popular. He wasn't just a wealthy man. And that, you know, for, for for Christians, stewardship and giving is so important. Mm-hmm. And so I emphasize to my parishioners, yes, he was Muslim. And also look at the fact that he gave. He gave so much that he depressed the economy in the Egyptian uh That's city. right. <laughs> he, he gave so much he he devalued the gold. Yes. <laughs> And I say to myself, man, this guy had everything. Do we see billionaires doing that now? Just giving until they, you know, literally, you know, to the point where, yeah, he depressed the economy for years. Yeah. And he is known for his philanthropy. And you know what? Let me interject here when I talk about the glue, right? As kind of a um, uh, kind of an undergirding. Um, uh, ethos, uh, if you will, of, of this particular effort, right? The Black Glue Podcast. The glue here, when we think about that unseen thing, this act of charity, this act of giving, and this yeah. is something that binds us, right? And that is something that you notice, that you recognize before you even know, before you know the name, before you know whether a person is a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, uh, a Hindu, a Buddhist, whatever, right? Whatever they happen to be, you recognize the act of giving and the sincerity yeah. that accompanies that. And that is what that is what has the potential to, to bind us and to uh, and really take us beyond those things where, you know, we get caught up in stuff that really in the grand scheme of things in terms of the desired product of our faith is really inconsequential. That's right. The, the question is always, what are you giving? And yeah. Of course, in my Christian faith, we talk about time, talent and treasures. Yeah. And are you giving of yourself? You know, not just money, but are you giving your heart? Are you giving your soul to someone or to some community? And if you aren't, you need to evaluate why you are here. We are all here. We are blessed to be a blessing. And that's one of the things we emphasize in our congregation. What are we giving? You know, it's not this faith is not just for you to go into a space with four walls and celebrate uh, how great you are or how great your faith is. Your faith should cause some sort of transformation outside. That's right. Something should be happening. So now you've got me excited, man. I got my caravan (laughs) of gold book right here. (laughs) Family knows about him. And we actually 
the cool thing about the Block Museum, and I took my family to see it, uh-huh. they had artifacts of gold and ivory and, and, and all sorts of items that uh, were, were used along that trade route, which extended both across the Sahara as far uh, uh, east as, as India. And then, of course, people don't realize how much trade was going up into Europe and and the gold that was provided by those black African Muslim folk within the Malian Empire. So I'm interested in exploring that, presenting it, and letting people know. You can see even the background of my home. I got gold. I like it. You know, I want my, my, my family to be mindful yeah. that we have not always been enslaved. That's, That's right. It's a small blip in terms of our overall history. It's a small, it's, it's a small, very small blip um, on the uh, on on the calendar. You know, if we, if we if we have the big picture approach, I did want to give uh, a shout out. Um, I mentioned my my mother, uh, Sister Zakia Elamine. She actually, so we did a, uh, we kind of had a a, a cooperative performance uh she wrote a piece uh you referenced uh the trip that i took as a member of the delegation for the abolition institute uh, a few weeks back to mauritania and then we went over to uh dakar um but she wrote a, a play about the struggle for freedom uh because mauritania is one of the countries that uh modern you know slavery still exists so uh you know we work to help those organizations like uh, SOS Esclaves that are on the ground giving support to those who are able to, you know, make their way out of that uh, horrid situation. But it was uh, Trinity United Church of Christ. They're performing arts or drama ministry and Meshdel Takwa's uh, uh, performing arts uh, troupe who came together and performed that um, at Trinity. And it was, uh, it was a beautiful experience. And I think as we're talking about that, it just brought it back to mind that I think these types of efforts in addition to everything else because it's a multi-pronged multifaceted approach you know that we got to take but I think these are are things that uh you know that there's a lot of fruit uh to be born out of those types of collaborative efforts so I'm really looking forward to um you know what, what God will allow us to uh, uh to make good on our you know our intentions well you know I I uh I do a few things. So, uh, <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. you... <laughs> I do a few things. I and, know. Uh, I'm blessed to have a wonderful family that participates. And uh, my wife was actually Harriet Tubman, and people swore that that was Harriet on the stage. Wow. She, she summoned her. <laughs> okay. And then my son played um, in one of my plays. He played baby Frederick Douglass or young Frederick Douglass. Yeah. And he had the entire audience in the palm of his hand. Mm. So, um, we're able to do a few things in this household and I am open to collaboration. God is good. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so, so with that, uh, I want to ask for uh, anybody who wants to keep up with, uh, with your work. Is there any central place that they can go uh, to do that? Um, or, 
You know, I have to admit to you that that has not been my strongest suit. Uh, I'm trying to do better. I have been told, I mean, like my sermons, people have been saying, put them on a YouTube channel. So at some point, hopefully I can give you an announcement, an announcement in a, in a space where you can go. People can find me. Um, they can find me obviously through you. Uh, and you can reach me at Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Smith at ctschicago.edu if you want to continue the conversation or if you have questions about my work. Okay. All right. Well, uh, dear brother, uh, Reverend uh, Brian, we appreciate you taking the time to be here and have this conversation. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot more we could mine, uh, and a lot more that we, we could talk about. So, uh, I, I'm hoping to have you back on in the near future. Um, right. <laughs> so, uh, Black Blue Podcast family, uh, our guest has been Reverend Brian E. Smith. He's the director of advancement and strategic partnerships at the Chicago Theological Seminary. Uh, and he is the administrator of the Henry Luce Foundation COVID-19 emergency response grant. Uh, and uh, so he's doing some fantastic work. So I'm going to ask you to keep that work in your prayers uh, because it is work that does not, uh, it benefits us all. So uh, that being said, I want to thank you for joining us and remind you that you can keep up with us on social media, uh, Instagram, Black Glue Podcast, uh, Twitter, Black Glue Podcast without the E, and uh, Facebook at the Black Glue Podcast. So thank you once again. This is your host, Imam Tariq Alameen, and we will see you, God willing, next time. So I love this thing can never deface it. But some of y'all that follow was hella racist. Face it, we was taught to hate black. So the lighter you is, the more you attract. I'm finna pull coats here and choke fear when the smoke clear. We still.